Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to another episode of Preacher Boys. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Tim Morris from Texas. Tim has a pretty interesting story. Um, Although he didn't personally experience abuse of any kind, thank goodness, uh, he was involved with three different churches, all very close to each other, that all had issues with sexual assault of children, rape, molestation, and he looks at the cause and effect of all of these ministries, where the people came from, all the commonalities that they shared. And so if you're someone that's been listening that says, well, hey, independent Baptist churches are independent. How can you blame each other for the actions of random anomalies? This episode really shows that it's not an anomaly. These are people sharing very similar worldviews, coming from the same colleges, and doing the same kind of things. And so I think this is a really good episode for you guys to listen to. Tim is super helpful, shares a ton of information, and there are so many names that you can look up that he refers to. Uh, there is documented proof of these cases. So please enjoy the episode. As always, I want to issue a quick trigger warning. We are talking about rape, child molestation, abuse, and so these are topics that are very sensitive. So if it's not something you're ready to listen to right now, that's okay. Just add it to your queue. Come back to it later when it's good for you to do so. All right, guys, here's the episode. All right, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Can you share a little bit about uh, what your introduction to the IFB movement was? Um, Yes, um, I was born into it back in 86. And um, I, the church that we went to back then was a, was a um, Hiles Graduates Church. And from there, um, my dad got out of church for a while and then my mom kept, kept us going to church. We went on the, on the bus to uh, another church in the area that was also a Hiles Church. And um, my dad got back into church again and when he did, he took a lot of what Hiles had in his printed books and he brought that into his church where he was going to pastor. And um, my dad had some issues and stuff. And my parents ended up divorcing for about a year's time. And during that year time, I went back to the church that we had went to back in the 80s, which is the Hiles Harrison Graduate Church. And I was, I was there for a while. I started, I restarted a death ministry that my mother had originally started back in the 80s, but it had kind of died out by then. And um, life was good. We, I've never questioned anything. Um, I, when my dad was pastor, I actually would judge his church because they weren't as piloty as the church that I had wished I, I could have gone to at the time. So I was, I was 
judgmental of my dad's um, ways of pastoring. So, so you almost viewed yourself as like the most spiritual that you could get. Well, kind of on the inside, more so. Um, I, I I just saw that my dad's um, my, my dad would would use Hiles's manual for like his soul winning and his church setup that he had but he he actually did not like Hiles for his standards as far as like dressing stuff so um because he, he was, was too strict or he was too loose um he according to my dad he Hiles was definitely too strict okay but, but in my head I always look look at that at that church across town as being like the gold standard right. and my just being like just you know the slums <laughs> so right so so at the at the peak of your involvement with the IFB, so um, you attended for how long? How long were you involved? For I was I was born into it, so from '86 to officially about almost two years ago. And I'm 33 now, about 31 years. Okay, so so I guess what time of your life would you say you were at the peak of your involvement and buy into it? And uh, how would you have described it? If someone at that time would have said. Hey, describe the IFB to me. What would you have said? Oh, I would I would say that we're King James only. We're soul winning. We were, um, we had we had high standards, and ladies wouldn't wear pants, and guys didn't go to church unless they wore a suit coat. Um, basically, I would just tell everyone the highest standards that we had that made us so different from everyone else. And my, I would say the peak moment was probably when I was. 17 to 26. Right. And um, so obviously you're on this podcast, you're no longer a part of it. So what was it that was the first thing you noticed where you're like, this isn't right, or this doesn't, this something feels off here. What, what was it that kind of started making you question what you were thinking and the mindset that you did have? The original thing that happened, and this kind of goes into a little story, I was working for Lifeway Christian Bookstores, and my, my job was to sell Bibles. And so one day, I saw this family come in, and they were looking for a Bible. And I, and I was like, well, good. I have the right one just for you. And so I took them to, to, to the Bible section, to, and I said, right here's the King James, and that's the one I, I prefer. And they said, well, we, we really want to try to find one that, ha that doesn't have all of these signs and vowels in it. I said, well, the ones that are like that, they're not real Bibles. And mm -hmm. I said, um, the Bible which you really want is the King James. I said, it has all of these and vines and vows in it, but you're gonna, but you're gonna have a, a real accurate Bible that's, you know, the, just like the original manuscripts, really close to it. I said, this is the one that is the right one for the English-speaking people. Right. And they're like, and, and and I knew a little bit about the arguments that I was taught to use. Like the the other versions might have sixteen verses totally missing out of their Bibles totally, and that um, the story of they had a little um, there's a little wording that was at the very end that was a little off that that, that kind of made it out to be I forgot the exact wording but and so I knew all the arguments to use and I I convinced them that the King James was the way to go and so I gave them a tract from my church and, and they came. And after about, 
Well, when, when they came up to my church, they, the whole family got saved and baptized, and they were really active in church. And the mother of that family came to me and said, hey, Tim, my best friend at work, she's a Mormon. Can you tell me what they believe? I said, well, I don't know what they believe, but I know they're wrong. She said, well, I need some more concrete information so I, so I can go on. I said, okay. So um, I, went, I went home, and I studied about, about the Mormons for a while and I um I had I guess got a burden to reach out to Mormons and so and so when I when I when I did that I I went back to church and I said don't worry I got you uh, some CDs and some books and I said this really messed up so whatever you do just wait till you can see the material that I have for you and um when that went, and then I started, I wanted to meet some local ex-Mormons in the area, and I found a group that was ex-Mormons, and now they're Christians, and I went to that group, and they were talking about their times in Mormonism, and when they did, something in my head just clicked, like, this is, this sounds just like the independent fundamental Baptist church, and I was like, this sounds just like the church I was raised in, I said. In, in what they, regard, as far as what, what belief? the mind control that they put over the people um and they have they have really high expectations for for their members and they and they keep them active in the church where they were toward they can't leave the church and so um so yeah i saw that that they had some similarities as far as the mind control and, and i guess standards in a different kind of way but definitely kept kept their folks active to where they wouldn't I guess wouldn't have time to really question what was going on. Right. Interesting. And so what did you do with this information? Was it something that you just kind of kept researching for a couple of years on your own? Was it something you instantly well, brought to family or to leadership or what was that process for you? I put it on the back shelf and I still stayed faithful. I still stayed. And so, but before that, um, before that actually like actually shortly after that happened i had i had met some um missionaries in my area and stuff and i started working with them um but the pastor had um of my church at the time he had he was arrested for a rape charge in west virginia and the way the story goes is that he had told the church he was going to a conference but he gets arrested for 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 rape and ends up killing himself in jail and uh -huh. And through and through that, um, I saw a lot of cover-ups going on in the church right. that the, all the assistant pastors knew about. But um, but even even through all that, I knew that they that they wouldn't stay very long in that church. And so um, I went ahead and and said, you know what? I kind of had the same kind of mentality that the Mormons might have: is that men men can be can be wrong, but the church is still still true. The church is still right. Right. That, mindset I had um and so after he had done that I had decided I was going to stay in church and give this new pastor um a shot and I did it for two years huh so this was all recent so so you mentioned like they were cover up so this was the pastor of the church you were attending correct right. yeah I I went to open door Baptist Church in Mesquite and um in in michigan texas oh in texas right okay 
There's another open door Baptist church. Yeah, yeah there's one. There's one in Michigan. That's right. Okay. So um, so yeah um, I had I had went there and I stayed through those two years, and then after two years, I left that church and the pastor, my former church from probably when I was like 18, 19 years old, that pastor had kind of got fed up with some of the IB um, stuff that was going on. And he kind of distances um, himself from that um, movement in, in a way. He's, I mean, he still saved King James and stuff, but um, he got fed up with like Bob Gray and Jack Hiles and stuff. So he, um, he told me, he said, the pastor of that church does not pay you a penny. And what I, what I would do, since you're going to leave your church, is I would write on, the, on, on toilet paper, I'm leaving the church, and put it under his door. And I was like, well, I can't put it on toilet paper and do it. So I, I wrote a one-page letter to my pastor and put it under his door. And, and while I was doing that, I was, I was so sick to my stomach, I thought I was going to throw up because I was so afraid to leave the church because if I did, I knew that there were going to be some repercussions of that. And I left and went to a Southern Methodist church for about a year and a half. And when, when, when I left the church, about six months later, I had a really bad car accident. And um, I was in the hospital for about a month. And the pastor um, who came to be pastor for those two years, I had stayed, decided I was going to stay. He had told me um, that the reason why I was in this car accident was because I left the church. And I had I had a broken leg, a fractured pelvis, and blood transfusion, and everything else. But he said the reason why I no I was in the hospital, and the reason why I had the accident was because I had left this church, and that's the reason why I had it. Wow. So, so circling back, just for context, like I can kind of in my mind just from speaking with other people and from from researching when you say there were cover-ups or that there was this manipulation over the situation, you know, I can kind of picture what that is, but for somebody who's listening who may be saying, well, how did they cover up stuff? How was there, what did you notice happening? Was it just, they just dashed under the rug and didn't talk about it? Did you, was there, no one knew what was going on, but only a few people knew? What, what did the, the cover-up look like as far as the, the church went? Well, that one cover-up was like this. So I came to the church in 2008, and the pastor, um, I really liked the pastor a lot. And, I mean, he was, to me, he was a great pastor. I, when he was there, I really didn't have any issues with him. Um, but when he had hung himself in jail, the news came out and said that he had a rape charge in San Antonio, Texas from 2007. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, if he had a rape charge back in 2007, what did the church know at that time? Well, speaking yeah. to other members in the church, they said, well, they were told that he had, um, that he was in the hospital with kidney stones during that time. Wow. And so the associate pastors came back and said, pray for your pastor. He's in the hospital. He has kidney stones. And, <laughs> and um, another thing was um, the pastor had embezzled almost a million dollars from the church. And he just told he had he had all these other accounts that he had set up, and he told his secretary transfer this much money to this account. And she just never questioned him, but she did write down every time he told to, to transfer money. She did write down that he asked her to transfer money, and through all those the asking that he did, it totaled up to a really huge sum of money. But um, just, just those kinds of corrupts that you know 
that the, the, a normal person would have maybe questioned, why would you want to you know, transfer, let's say, $20,000 from church account to this account? What's the purpose right. for there, there is no questioning behind it because he's the man of God and you just do what he says. Wow, that's crazy. Um, wow, yeah. So, so obviously this is when you start really noticing there's an issue. So then when you chose to leave, what was the process? So he visited you in the hospital about six, this is six months after yes. leaving. Um, did you believe him? Did you have this thought of like, maybe I did make a big mistake leaving or did it kind of harden that position of, I did the right thing getting out of here. That's crazy. What was kind of your thought process when he said that to you? Um, it, it was the, it, it was the mindset that he's crazy and and there's a good reason why not, there's a good reason why I'm not going to this church anymore. <laughs> right, right. And uh, yeah, he um, <laughs> he he was just during the two years he was there. He was he was very, very much like a drill sergeant. He had come from Joan Vineyard Church in Oklahoma City at Winter Hill. And um, as soon as he came into the church, he was just a drill sergeant the whole entire time. He said that the girls' skirts were, were, were too short. All they were to the knee, they were still too short. And so, and he would preach against denim skirts on, on women and men having facial hair. And he, he and I remember going to church one day. He said, "You cannot live a spirit-filled Christian life if you're a woman wearing a denim skirt, or if you're a man and you have facial hair." He said, "He said if you do either one of those things." And not live a spirit-filled Christian life, and I will never forget that comment he had made in preaching. What What was the church you said it cut out a little bit when he said the church he had come from? Where was it? Open Door Baptist Church, in Mississippi, um, Texas. And then this pastor had transferred from a different church. He came from Joan Vineyard's Church at Winter Hills Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. Which now that church is no longer named Winter Hills. Now they're on their whole new name because there was some other scandals in the church. They had to change their church name and location. <laughs> really? Do you know what the new church name is? By any chance or no? Yes, the church was Higher Plain. Yeah, it's, it's Higher Plain Baptist Church now. And Tom Vineyard, who is John Vineyard's son, he's the pastor of the church. Oh, I see here. Oh, it's so weird. So I Googled him and then the first hit pops up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's connected with an organization that I'm familiar with all the way in California. <laughs> um, it's amazing when you start Googling a church name and you're like, oh, we're all more connected than we think. Right. Um, Sorry, I don't want to get too distracted. I always like to Google or write down when someone mentions the name. Um, so what was the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, recovery process, mindset shift leaving? Because obviously when you're spending over 30 years believing very staunchly that we're right, everyone's wrong, I am the bastion of Christian holiness, you know, when when you have this very strict religious background and then you step out away from that there is a process of 
kind of mental spiritual recovery what did that look like for you what was helpful for you along that kind of journey well at that time i had not started that because when i got out of the hospital um i was going to my my southern baptist church for maybe another four or five months and then i i was kind of in my head i was guilted into going back to another ifb church so i went back and what what church was that that church was Parkside, Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, and okay. um, yeah, they had they had some more scandals of their own, which I had left after their other scandal they had had. Um, I, when I was there for two years, I, I remember the first year I was there, with the rules and the mandates from the pastor. I mean, I went soul winning, and when they had a fall program, I was the assistant. Of the, of the team leader and stuff, and I was in charge of doing additional soul winnings on top of the Saturdays or Thursday soul winning. And I was, um, I saw some things that I didn't like during that program. I saw um, a teenage boy in a church. He was trying to gather a group of 15 or 20 kids around him when he was trying to share the gospel. And, and he told the kids, you know, basically he said, Jesus died for your sin. If you believe in Jesus and say his prayer, you'll be saved. And all, all 15, 20 kids bowed their head, supposedly, and received Christ. And I went out and I left, and I was like, I was like, he didn't talk to any, to any of these kids one on one. He never really made sure that any, all the kids really understood what they were doing. And now he's going to go to church. He's going to say, I have 15 saved. And then he's going to, and then all he has to do is just have the kids' names, and then boom, he's getting awards in the church for leading so many people to Christ and all this stuff. Right. And, but during that, during that program, I, I stayed with it and I did my best to have as many salvations as I could and visitors and stuff. And I actually won the Sunday school contest in my church for having the most points in Sunday school. And I was in the pastor's class too. And um, the second year though, I, every time I went to church, I would, I would literally show up, right on time and leave during the invitation and at this time i was working in deaf ministry and i was i was interpreting so as soon as my interpreting was over i left and i, and I just got out of that church as best as i could because i didn't want um to hear the pastor i didn't want to hear i i didn't really want to talk to anyone at all i was just getting really fed up with it but i, I still felt like i really couldn't leave because the pastor was depending on me to interpret. And if I wasn't there to interpret, then they were going to be short on interpreters. And, and so I felt like there was an obligation I had to that church, so I, I just couldn't leave. But um, anyhow, I had left after they had a sexual assault scandal in their church. I had left. And, and was that everyone that, the pastoral staff, or was that a, a member? What, this what did was, that case this, look like? Yeah, so this was a Sunday school teacher in the church. She was a college student. And what happened was um, in, in April of 2018, I was sitting down at my desk, and my, and my neighbor had posted on Facebook that there was a Sunday school teacher arrested for continuous sexual assault of a child. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, he goes to my church. So I was like, what's going on here? So then um, they said the abuse started most likely 
at, at um, they give a month. It was like from March to October of, of that year, of that of the year before that. And my mind went back to a, a time frame, and there's things that have happened. He was engaged to this this man who was who was um, accused was um, engaged to get married. Well, in October, when supposedly the sexual assault ended, him and his fiance weren't sitting together in church anymore, and they had announced that the wedding was being postponed. Right. And I said, "Well, maybe there is an issue." This is, this is my thing at the time. Maybe there's an issue. It's none of my business. You know, people have had problems, and maybe they don't have money or something. And so, um, when I so that that was my thing at the time. But then I was like, wait a minute. So, and then in March of that year, um, I quit seeing him at church. And I was like, where is he at? Why is he at church anymore? Well, apparently the police got involved in March. When police got involved, he quit coming to church. And so um, my mindset was that maybe he just, um, I, I was assuming the, the church probably asked him to not come back because the police were, were getting involved right. and they didn't want him to church because of that reason. So so I had, I, I told myself I was going to go here to pasture out. Um, it was like on a Sunday night. I was going to go hear him out, and when I, when he was trying to explain it, he never named the name of the person, he did, but he did say if there's any more victims, to let them come forward, and and um, that they need to come forward because there could be more victims because he was obviously very active, involved with children in their ministries, right. and um, and that's all he said. He really didn't say anything else, and. Um, I wasn't satisfied with it, with his reasoning, and so I had my sister was there at that at that service. She she she's not really active in church right now, and she, she was there for that service. And I told her I said I'm not coming back anymore. I'm done because I saw this time frame was didn't match up. But when I left about a month later, the associate pastor called me, and it was a number I didn't recognize. Had I recognized the number, I would have answered it. <laughs> So um, the associate pastor called me and said, and said, Tell. he said, what's going on? We missed you at church. I said, I said, yeah, I said, um, I'm just having some problems with some things that I thought the church knew about and they, they didn't come forward. He said, well, what's that? So I told him exactly what I told you. And he said, well, brother, he said, I just found out whenever you found out. I didn't know anything. I said, okay, but somebody knew something. I said, it only makes sense that someone knew something. He said, well, Tim, the church hired a private investigator to look into the matter. Okay. Uh, and whose money did they use for that? He said, well, they used the church's money. I said, okay, wait a minute. I said, the money that we gave to, with our tithes and offerings, the church used that money to hire a private investigator to look into a sexual assault, but you didn't go to the police? He said, that's what I was told by the pastor. And I was like, so that told me right there, someone knew something they had hired supposedly a private investigator to look into it and that's when I, I said I'm not interested in continuing this conversation and it's, it's basically over now yeah that is interesting because I could see I could see that being a decent use of funds after going to the police and saying hey let's bring someone in to just see if there's anything else going on right but let's do that in lieu of police is yeah, kind of sketchy. The, the police didn't get involved until 
supposedly after the private investigator. But I just wow. didn't like that. They didn't come to the church and ask us for our um, for our permission to move funds that we paid to the church right. to look into this. Because I think it would be an issue that they should have come to us about. And that they wouldn't share the results of the investigation if you're the funds of the congregation. Right. And the, and the, and the one thing I, I realized the IFB, when, when there is a situation like that, the, the, the men, the preachers, they tend to not know, supposedly, not know what to do in that situation. And there's not really a good training for people um, as far as, like, if you suspect any kind of abuse of a child, you have 48 hours to report it. And they, they either, either they literally don't know about that, about that law or they just don't care about it. But, I mean, this church was, was known for um, – after the fact, I realized that, you know, moving sexual predators around in, in their churches. And so they would relocate one to this church or vice versa. Another thing that had happened that was interesting was I had, um, I had watched them while I was still going there uh, before this man did his thing. I saw, I didn't go to the missions conference. I watched it on, on, live services and there was a missionary there that I, I recognized from my former church at, at open door and um he was presenting his work and i was like wow so that's interesting well after I, this guy had been this other guy who i had he was session um blessing kids after after he his news came out something told me look for sexual pressures like um registered sex offenders in your area Look them up and, and, and right. just see what you see. And so I did. And when I did that, I recognized that man's face was a missionary at the missions conference. And I also, I also mentioned his that name, by any chance? Um, his name is Ochando, uh, Manuel Ochando. Um, he, he, he was a missionary to the prison ministry of all, of all places. <laughs> and so, um, um, as far as I know, he's 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 really just local in this area. But anyway, um, you know, I, when I saw his his name and I saw that he was a, a moderate risk and that he was a lifetime registered sex offender, um, I, I I I even told the associate pastor about that. He said, "Brother Tim," he said, "We realized he had problems probably two months before he actually came to our church because." he was preaching, he, he was referring to verses that were in the NIV during college chapel. And we realized that. And so that's why we didn't take him on for support. I said, that's not the issue. The issue is you had a man who was a registered sex offender coming to your church, sitting behind your pulpit, and no one, and, and no one thought to look on the local registered sex offenders list to make sure his name was not, was not on there. So they were more um, about his position on Bible translations than they were about the child molestation yes. charges. Yeah, definitely, yes. <laughs> child, child molesting problems, you can overlook, but but that that version problem, you just cannot overlook the, <laughs> which version of the Bible he so. yeah. <laughs> No, So this is crazy. So, like, I've been just searching, and some of the names that you mentioned I'm familiar with because on the, on the Preacher Boys website, I have, like, a a list of uh, of people who have been charged with sex crimes, and so I recognize uh, Stephen Aaron Wynn and Larry Allen Wynn from Open Door, 
so I'm, I pulled up an article from Dallas News, and I'll put this in the show notes. Um, so in February, um, Stephen Wynn and uh, his dad, Larry Wynn, were both arrested for sexual assault on children. Right. And then and in I, March... And I have known them since I was probably five years old. We, we actually grew up together. So. Wow. And this is... This is just a year after what happened with the Sunday school teacher at um, Parkside. They, they were arrested a year, I'm sorry, um, a month or two, two months before the Parkside Sunday school teacher. That's wild. Um, so they were arrested in, in February. The pastor of that church open door, Bob Ross, he was arrested in March. Was April because he he did not um, report the sexual abuse in his church, and, um, and then. So yeah, I recognize his name as well. Our side had their it all literally it all literally came down to the head all at the same time in an area. It's pretty embarrassing. So, <laughs> so how so how how connected were these churches with each other? Were, were, they, were they very much islands on their own? But they just happen to have the same problems. Well, I'll say this: the church um, at Parkside Baptist Church, um, they had a pastor for over twenty years who was a Hollis Anderson graduate, and he had left Parkside. He had, I guess, retired and went into in, into evangelism for a short time. And when that really wasn't working out, he went to go pastor his own church in the Hill Country in Texas. And then the new pastor who took over. Um, you're going to recognize this person's name, I'm sure. He was a graduate from Trinity Baptist Church in Florida, which is Bob Ray's college, right. Bob Ray, Florida. We know what kind of situations that, that man had. And I didn't know anything about him until after I left and I started Googling. And I saw that even he had problems. So I'm like, well, they're all trained from sexual predators and, and they're all trained with the same people. And so it's, it's basically the fruit of their um, training. So, Right. Yeah, you start looking at if one place is producing three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the count goes on. And this is just Texas. If you have six people in one or two cities in Texas that all came from similar background, and actually I think four or five all came from Hiles, and you have one from this other college, you do have to start looking and saying, is this something that's a fruit of what they came from or are they all anomalies that happen to be planted right next to each other? Um, for people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar with Kyle's or Bob Gray or those kind of organizations, when you, when you specify like, oh, they're all from Hiles, why do you feel that's important to note? Like, and I think I may have just answered with what I just said, but why do you think it's so important that people recognize, like, hey, these guys all came from the same place? Well, when I was really active in the church, I would I thought of Hiles Anderson as being the gold standard. I actually, I actually, I was going to public school and junior high and most of high school, and we had to do a we had to to do a report on one college that we wanted to go to when, whenever we graduated high school. And so I didn't of all colleges, I did Hiles Anderson. So I called Hiles Anderson, I ordered a catalog, and, and, and I did my report on why Hiles Anderson was such a great college. And mm-hmm. in, my, in my mind, it was, it was the gold standard. And 
you know, no churches could ever measure up to Hiles Anderson because they had, you know, really good high standards. They were they were Kenny James only, right. and MA Bob MA Bob Jones and Pensacola and West Coast all looked like they were um, second class compared to Hiles Anderson. Right. So um, Hiles Anderson, they're they're known for having those stricter standards and stuff and knowing and. But once you leave, you also know that they're known for having all the cover-ups. So, <laughs> so, so how, for some people, they may be hearing that and saying, that doesn't make sense. How could the strictest, the most, the, the quote-unquote gold standard of, like, they go above and beyond to make sure that they maintain this out-of-this-world righteousness, so to speak. Why do you feel that? a school with that reputation is producing these kinds of people. What is it? Is it something that's in the teaching? Do you think it's an issue? I know I've talked with guests before. Do you think it's an issue of so repressed that it just explodes? Like, what do you think that that cause is? Why do you think there's so many people coming out of this college that are pretty messed up? <laughs> well, I'm, no, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I never went to school there, but I mean, when when you look at the sexual assaults that go on in this country, but you see that commonality between all of them, and most of them have training in one of these colleges, and um, and um, Hiles, I, I've watched since I've left. Uh, I when I was actively involved, I've never looked into this stuff. But once I left, I looked at videos about Jack Hiles and how um, and I and I, I realized that he had an affair with one of his deacon's wives, supposedly. Right. And and he was he he was known for his own his own uh, affairs, but also we have um, his son Dave Hiles, right? That also had all his affairs, and um, it's just the fruit of that, of that college, um, and there is no for turning him out. That's interesting. And I do recommend anybody listening, if you want a little bit more context regarding specifically David Hiles, but just Jack Hiles and the, the influence on the IFB, um, Sarah Smith from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram uh, did a story in 2018 called The Spirit of Fear. Um, it's a little difficult to track down, but it's not awfully difficult. Um, it's it has a lot of great information about um, sexual abuse within the IFB, and it opens with a very solid story recapping um, some of the life of David Hiles, who was Jack Hiles' son. And so uh, if you guys haven't heard that, I'd recommend checking that out. Um, so I'm, I'm curious now, um, and obviously you're, you know, by doing this show, you're trying to be vocal about the issues you see um, I think like myself, you're trying to prevent people from A, being abused, but also open the eyes of people who are maybe involved with ministries that are complicit in abuse. What would you say to someone who's sitting in the pew of a church right now, uh, an IFB ministry that, you know, recognizes some of these problems, or maybe they're starting to recognize some of these issues, but they don't feel, they either feel that they're scared to leave because of, you know, the ramifications that you talked about earlier, or they feel like, do I want to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Maybe it's not the organization. What would you say to someone who's kind of on the fence and starting to question 
where they're at? What, what would you, be your advice to them? Run. <laughs> um, get out as fast as you can. I mean, there's this, there's, I really don't see any, any good in this movement. And um, the best advice is to stick it out. And um, I've, I've dealt with people from the former church who have totally cut me off totally right. when they see me in they're, they're going to, they're going down the dinner aisle in the store or whatever. I mean, um, um, I, I still have these, um, IFB, this, this, I guess this little mentality of that. I still have, um, for example, when I, when I have left the IFB, I had a very hard time because I was still judging people uh, on, right. on the inside, not, not outwardly, but on the inside. I was judging people for like I started um, going to I went to Chuck Swindoll's church for a short time. Oh wow! And, okay. And when I, when I went there, uh, in my head I felt like I was sinning because I wasn't going to uh, IFB church, and so that that kind of mindset still. I mean, it's gotten a whole lot better since then, but um, it is I had a fight with for for a time. But I would just recommend anyone who's, who's in the pews and they see problems that just just to get out just don't don't give them their minute of your time this is just, it's just not worth it and so, you can go ahead sorry i didn't mean to catch you off there one thing about you had talked about previously um one thing that i realized um after leaving the ib church is that they they foster environments of sexual abuse and one way that I, I really didn't think about until this case came to court and I saw what the court records all said. And, you know, when, 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 when you go out soul winning, you, your whole entire, the church encourages grown men to take a boy with them when they go out soul winning because you have more, group, more, more right. teams in the field. You can knock more doors. Well, I, when I was reading over some court documents, and I was seeing that, you know, there were instances happening of abuse while soul winning. And, and, I, was, and I was thinking, I never thought about how this, uh, a man and a boy who, who, who's not the man's son going out soul winning was ever an issue. While I, was, I, I thought it was normal. And now that I look back, I'm like, you know, I was, I, I was just like, that's just asking for a problem right there in yeah. itself. Even so. if the intentions of everyone doing it isn't wrong, you're right. leaving yourself open. It's just not wise, right? Um, and, and I had saw, but but as as an IV and being an like I was, I, I never saw an issue with it until right until I had left. And so, so what would you say? And I, I'm I'm just curious because I have had, you know, you know, and I'm asking this knowing where I stand. I think you know where I would be as well. But I've had many people that have reached out or commented on the show and they struggle with the idea of, you know, these churches are quote unquote independent. That's in their name. So something that happens in Mesquite, Texas doesn't reflect my church in Hammond, Indiana or my church in Louisiana or California. So what would you say to someone who says, well, maybe that was your experience in your city and it was a bad situation but why should I question the church I'm going to in, you know, California or in Colorado? What what would be your response to them? 
Well, um, I guess I would I would say that they're all from the majority are from the same these same these same um I call them sects, but you have the, the Hyle sect, you have the Bob Jones sect, and you you have the this um commonality between all, all these all these colleges that they all come from. And yeah. I would just say that that it, it won't be long before things things are gonna come to a head and and you have to and you're gonna have to eventually um deal with that once it happens right. and um I that's why I encourage everyone to who's listening probably just get out of these churches because I mean it's just not worth the the longer you stay the more the more damage is being done and right. um it's just best to get out and one thing I had I had told told my pastor here this last Tuesday at, um I had told him I said that one thing that I, I never realized is how much the independent Baptists idolize the King James Bible. They idolize standard. They, they idolize all these, all these the things about the pastors, and and they and and they idolize all the all these things and all these people. And one thing I realized after I left was when I was a teenager, we had a a, um, a, a, a I guess a before Sunday night service was called young young fundamentalist. And 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 you would think based on the name we were going to go to this to this class and we were going to learn about the fundamentals of the faith, but never did they ever teach the fundamentals of the faith. What they taught you in that class was standards. You know why 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 you wear skirts and dresses, why you wear a suit coat and a tie, why you why you do this and don't do that, and those were things. That, and I would just tell these people that, you know, if you really get get, get down to it, if, if your pastor is preaching. And he's idolizing his standards, and 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 you're idolizing a man or, or the King James Bible or whatever, um, that, you know, that's 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 clearly a sign, that that's kind of church you are. So. So, do you feel, and I think you may have already answered this, but do you feel that there, is there something that could happen that could lead to reform of this movement, or do you think it's foundationally flawed? Um, I don't think there's any any hope to reform it. I have I have one one friend who who still goes to to the church I used to go to, but she's not really faithful to church every single week, and she'll she'll tell me things like, "Oh well, tell me, we have a brand new pastor, and all things are well." And I was like, "Well, your brand new pastor is having men come in who are preaching the exact same things that we heard under your former pastor." I said, and these same men, they idolize Jack Hiles, they and and they idolize you know all all these people, and and the only response I get is that well we have a new pastor and he's nothing like that. It's like, but the thing is, your pastor is still having these men who have problems with their own come right. in and and to to preach. And I said, I'll never go back. Um, and so there's definitely I don't see any kind of possibility that they, they could ever could reform um i think it's just flawed to where it, there's there, there's no way to fix it so awesome uh so where are you where are you going to you mentioned talking to your pastor last week what are you where are you attending now are you going to a 
Southern Baptist Church or is it a Methodist church? What what church are you going to? Well, it's Wally Gospel Fellowship and it is um um it's an independent church. Um and I guess they're they're Baptist I mean, as far as the doctrine goes, they're Baptist, but um that's one thing that I had an issue with uh, when I came out is that they were voting for a church name because it's a brand new church plant. And when they were voting for a name, I, I wanted Baptist to be in the name. I was like, I want this to be in the name. And whenever um, I I was probably the only person who voted for Baptist to be in the name, and um, everyone else voted to take Baptist out of the name, to not, to not have it in there at all. And I remember I probably holding a grudge in my heart for probably about a good six months. <laughs> it was just like, you know, how dare they have this church that's supposed to be Baptist and not going to have Baptist in the church name. And so, um, so yeah, um, that's the church I'm going to now. Yeah, no, I mean, that's all super interesting. And this one's crazy because, like, if you're listening to this episode, I encourage you to do the same. Um, every case you mention is documented and is a Google search away to find these people. And the fact that you, in a small area of Texas encountered six or seven people that all were doing the same thing is pretty startling. And then I know it's crazy for me. Like I recognize Mike Wells. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where I recognize him from. I'm pretty sure that I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in California. Okay. Mike Wells, um, he's affiliated with um, the Sword of Lord. Okay. Um, they do advertise, I believe, in his college in their papers. Um, I got one in the mail, actually, about a month ago. I don't, I don't know why I got one in the mail. And um, I just threw it away. I didn't even look through it. Um, but he, he is a social. He goes to all the store conferences. And he has something Smith come to his church every missions conference, I believe. Or No, he actually he has a um, Baptist leadership conference that he has. He has something Smith come. He has Ray Young from Hammond uh, come down for and so um, he has a lot of big names come down. He has um, um, John Hamlin comes down. Right. Um, so we have they have, they so have lots of. And it seems like a lot of these guys are connected to like Awake America and Capital Connection, which which I unfortunately uh, had a background with uh, several years ago, doing some some media work with them. Um, but yeah, it's. It's, I mean, guys, this, if you're listening to this episode, this, this is one of the prime examples. When I say they're not truly independent, this is, I mean, you can just start drawing lines between all of these and see all the root causes. You can see piles popping up. You can see shared colleges out of Texas. You can see shared philosophies. The doctrinal statements look like they're copied and pasted from each other. This is not a bunch of random churches that are independent these are people that are sharing staff they're sharing speakers they're they're sharing ideology and so i encourage everybody like don't just take our word for it start googling like it didn't take me long to pull up every single name that was mentioned and see a correlation see similar time frames and it's pretty startling so one yeah, one, I mean, thing, one thing you had just mentioned is that nurse that's another thing i saw is very similar between the IFB and the and the Mormons that they're told to not to not Google that Google is um, your biggest right. enemy and hundred percent if you Google and you're you're gonna find this anti stuff and this and 
so on and so forth. And we're told the exact same things in, in the IMV church. There's no difference. I mean, as far as that goes, there's just some very big similarities. And that's, that's what makes me, I, I have a, I have a, a friend who, um, he has a ministry to the cults here pretty close to the Dallas area. And he, and one thing I had to ask him, I asked him, I said, why are the independent Baptists not in this book about the cults? I said, there definitely should be a chapter on independent Baptists right. in this book. They're very cultic. And he said, well, um, he really didn't give me a good, a good reason for why they weren't involved in that or why they weren't like in, in that book. But hopefully one day he'll, he'll, he'll see, he'll see it my way and he'll, he'll add a whole new chapter to that book. But, um, right. Yeah. You could add a couple of yeah, you could <laughs> one 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 for each sect. So, <laughs> so um, I know we're here coming up at the end of an hour, but I'm curious: are there any resources that you have found that have been good? Um, I've referenced, you know, the the Big Book of Bad Baptist Preachers, and there's been a couple good articles, like Sarah Smith's article, um, uh, "Praying from the Pulpit." Uh, several decades ago, was very solid. Is there anything you found that's been a good? kind of all-encompassing look at the IFB or do you feel like there has yet to be something very solid regarding not I have not really come across it yet um I'm, I'm still trying to find some books myself so I haven't really come across anything yet um the only thing that I've come across is obviously just the podcast that I, three years of someone else's podcast and um but other than that, um, there are some books that have been mentioned that I do want to try to read. Um, but um, I guess here in the next couple of months, I'll go ahead and get those in. So, but as far as like resources, I, I really don't have any. But I, w- I would encourage anyone who's still in it to Google some names and maybe Google some names of the evangelists they have come into your church. Right. That's so or even if you go on the, like I did, on the sex offender registry i mean there's gonna be places on there you can check that's that's free and that's public and you look at one up and just see you know who's listening you'll be surprised as to i mean at at parkside we had three or four registered sex offenders who were actively going to that church and um i had i had and and i I I told myself that i wouldn't send my dog to that church now because there's no guarantee it's gonna be safe (laughs) so i mean well, I appreciate you kind of sounding the alarm and, and sharing your story. I know it's not I know it's not easy to necessarily reflect on some of the craziness of the past, but I appreciate you, you know, really sharing that perspective, being open, sharing some of the, the churches you attended and stuff. And I really hope people will do some work and, and research out on their own. And I think your your call to action to research everybody that comes in your church, that's so smart, especially if you're a parent with kids you know do you really want to trust that everybody there is 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 right and that honestly that goes for any church or organization that you're in even outside the ifb it's always smart that, to just do a little bit of research that was one thing i did when i went to this new church plant i went ahead and just googled every single person in that church just to yep. make sure you know? and so um everyone came back clean so we're good <laughs> <laughs> so all right well Tim, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? No, I think we said it all. Um, just, just encourage folks just to, just to read and just to research and 
kind of for myself, so. Perfect. All right, well, thank you so much for, for joining me for this episode. Guys, uh, you know, be sure if you like the episode to share it. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know if you have any other questions. If you want, uh, if you're having trouble finding any of the links that were mentioned, I'd love to get those over to you. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to uh, rate and review on iTunes. Get us bumped up a little bit and uh, get more people to hear this interview. So thank you so much, Tim, and uh, we'll sign it off. All right, thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.